on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio, 97.7. 100.1. ESPN Radio, Utica What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. Hey, you can listen anywhere you go. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're up to, wherever you go, please take us with you, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. On the ESPN app, if you download the app, there is a listen tab there where you can get live audio of this radio program Wherever you are, we get lots of uh, feedback from people all across uh, the grand United States of America. I'm not sure how many foreign listeners we have today. If you're listening to us on the ESPN app from beyond the borders of the United States, drop me a message. Okay, get on Twitter, Brent X Media, or the text line is 288-0644-315, area code here in central New York. I'm curious if we have anybody listening outside of the Grand 50 United States of America. We shall see. Uh, but wherever you go, that's the beauty of the ESPN app. We do a podcast, too. What we do is we take the show and put it in podcast form. And if you subscribe in iTunes and Google Play, which is something you should do, then you get a podcast version of the show, which, by the way, it's not a raw two hours of audio we're delivering to you, though people have asked for that. It's like a 30-minute condensed best-of version of the show that we send to you so you can listen on-demand on your time. So all those things, great ways to listen. Here's how you participate in the program. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter, where the show never stops. Or the On the Block text line is a way to reach the show. Just gave it out, but we'll do it again. Uh, 315 area code 288-0644. You got your uh, face in your phone, right? Might as well fire off a hot take. That's hot. On the text line. While you are doing it, we have a one guest who will join us later on in the program, and that is our buddy Nate Mink, Syracuse.com, on the football beat. Tomorrow is the spring game. I think we are going to see something that resembles a spring football game based on my conversation with Syracuse head coach Dino Babers, which you will hear on tomorrow's show. But based on, it's, I already had the conversation, we already recorded it. They're going to run about 80 plays. He said that the team is healthier at this point than he, he thought they would be. They kind of You have to plan for injuries and plan to be careful in this game as it is. He thinks they're a little healthier, had a little more time, so they're going to be fresh and ready to go. Maybe you'll see more hitting than you would think in this type of game, more of a football game than you would think, though it's still kind of a controlled 
situation, of course. I don't think you're going to see Eric Dungy if you do not a lot of him as they kind of eased him back into spring ball after that foot injury and, of course, being very careful with Eric Dungy, Eric Dungy, pardon me, through spring ball with that foot injury. You will see young Tommy DeVito, and I think you're going to see some interesting things. So we will talk to Nate Mink about what he has seen, what he's been writing about, and what we know about this team with one more big thing ready to go tomorrow night at the Carrier Dome to cap off the spring season. And that's right. Don't forget that the spring game is on a Friday night this year. It's a 7 o'clock start. It is free. Parking is free. And then afterwards, you get the autographs and the whole thing right down there on the field. So great opportunity to see this 2018 Syracuse football team starting to come together with the main attraction being young Tommy DeVito. Uh, When you hear my interview with Dino tomorrow, by the way, (laughs) He's very. Um, how can I say this? There's there's a there's a, 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 a like a Pavlov's dog response that he puts out there when I say the name Tommy DeVito. That I will I will tease and save for you when we play back that conversation on tomorrow's show. It's very very interesting how he does that. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. So. Football, Nate Mink later. Our buddy Liam McHugh is scheduled to join us today. NBC Sports says, let's do that hockey. The NHL playoffs started last night, but uh, Liam had to reschedule, so we'll chat with him on tomorrow's show. Hot takes as usual and usual uh, hijinks and tomfoolery of this program, but we have to start. I know it's probably been discussed to this point. It will be discussed going into tonight, but we're going to discuss it now. It is April 12th. And we talked the other day on the show with our friend Jared Diamond from the Wall Street Journal. He's a Syracuse grad, of course, great baseball writer. And he made a great point to say, look, you can say it's early all you want. These games still count. Will it matter in October that the Boston Red Sox got off to a hot start for them? Lost to the Yankees last night, which we'll get to here, but, you know, got off to the start. Is it going to matter in October how much Stanton is striking out, getting used to American League pitching and the struggles that he's had for the most part? There's a lot of questions that you say, what matters on April 12th that will also matter on July 12th and September 12th, which is my birthday, by the way, and more importantly, October 12th? Well, that's the beauty of baseball. It is a marathon, not a sprint, and all the cliches that you want to apply here. I don't care what today is. This feels like October. You can say whatever you want to say. Yankees Red Sox is back. Yankees Red Sox is fill in the blank label. What it is is awesome. Okay. And I am very biased in this conversation because I am a Red Sox fan. But I really felt it today. And I have not felt it like this in years. Years. Short of a couple of things that pop up. I mean, Obviously, I have a lot of Yankee fans that I know and run into, and we're always kind of busting each other's chops. Seth Goldberg is a Yankee fan. The great uh, the great one, as Daniel Baldwin would say. Our esteemed boss, Ed Levine, Yankee fan, who is not a fan of mine on Twitter right now because of this whole Yankees-Red Sox thing going on. That's for sure. But that's just it. I got more text messages and more tweets and more just, you feel a general buzz about something. than I have 
in years about Yankees-Red Sox based on what has happened in two days in April. Tonight is the third of 19 times that the Yankees and Red Sox will play. And it feels like October. And I hope we're not, you know, kind of getting all the good stuff out of the way now. These two teams have always had a rivalry. These fan bases have always had a rivalry. But like anything, the temperature runs hot and cold on this. The Yankees went away for a while. The Red Sox were the darlings of the American League East. They have one more World Series in this century. They have one more World Series in recent times and kind of took over the division. But the Yankees built up the farm system, and Aaron Judge became this just phenomenon. Derek Jeter and and the older guard went out. You had to put the younger guard in through it. Brian Cashman stays. Girardi's out. Aaron Boone's in. I mean, Yankee fans, no. The Red Sox were always competitive, but they weren't always a team that lived up to expectation. They went from, in 2004, finally winning a World Series to, by the time they won again and won their third World Series, it almost felt like it was old hat. It almost felt like, you know, what curse? What are you talking about? This team didn't win before like because they became the standard. And for whatever reasons, some of which I said and some that I have not, Yankees-Red Sox just, you know, didn't burn as hot as usual. Now, there were many great, individual games and you know are they going to sign that team and outwit that team and do this that's the thing though it felt this way even in the offseason it felt this way when the Yankees went and said boom we're going to get Stanton knowing that the Red Sox wanted him knowing that the Red Sox had to add a big bat both teams made manager changes despite the fact the Red Sox won 93 games and won the division and lost to a team in the playoffs that went on to win the World Series. These are all things that, you know, as to quote a certain broadcaster, that's baseball, Susan. Last year was seen as a failure. The Yankees barely get in, and that was a question pretty much the whole way, whether they would get into the postseason, and they are a game away from the World Series. And they get Stanton, and they get it, get him, pardon me, and get his contract at a, a real value, The Red Sox are the team that have the huge payroll. And what happened was a lot of the narratives about the Yankees shifted to the Red Sox. So then the first of these games sets up, and as we discussed earlier this week, the Red Sox came out and beat the Yankees 14-1. to And Stanton's striking out. And Stanton's on the cover of the New York Daily News, and a, a Yankee fan in Fenway Pack. He's giving him like the, you know, a picture tells a thousand words, right? He's got his arms out. And he's looking at him like, you know, he's the Antichrist. He's Stanton. I mean, the guy's going to hit 50 home runs. And there's going to be that picture on the record of Yankee fans that are angry at this guy. And so, as I said on yesterday's show, did you not know this about Stanton? He strikes out a lot. That's just what he does. He's adjusting to American League hitting. Did you think he'd come out of the box and have eight home runs by now? I mean, I thought you were well-educated, great baseball fans. So then we get to last night, and the Yankees take a big lead, They, as we were fearful of. We brought it up. Seth kind of broke my chops and brought it up, and I did agree, saying, yeah, David Price is probably going to get knocked around tonight because the Yankees hit David Price. Lo and behold, the Yankees hit David Price. Now, there was an injury there. Excuses are excuses, and the Sox had to go to the bullpen, and 
But it's eight to one. And I send out a tweet from the great Tony Maserati, who's a Boston media personality, saying it would be so Red Sox if they beat the Yankees 14 to one and lost to the Yankees the next night 14 to one. And I responded to that with a that's baseball, Susan, to which the great one Ed Levine responded talking trash, and I'm getting texts from people. I'm getting more tweets from people. And I'm the whole time, I'm just smiling. And I'm like, I missed this. This is what makes baseball great. Now, it happens in other sports, and it's a long season. We've got so much to go. And can they keep up this intensity for 19 games? Of course not. But there is a buzz and a feeling here. And it's not that the Yankees-Red Sox is back, because there's – Certainly a history there. It feels like this is a new rivalry. So I'm kind of burying the lead here and haven't gotten to this. The bench is empty, as you saw last night. Tyler Austin comes up, third inning, goes spike high on an attempted takeout slide of Brock Holt. So, of course, Holt doesn't appreciate that. They go back and forth. Now, here's something really important to know, and I'm a Red Sox fan here, and Yankee fans are going to roll their eyes and won't care. But here is the difference, as pointed out by a couple of great Boston writers today. Peter Abraham pointed this out. Sean McAdam from the Boston Sports Journal pointed this out, so they need to be credited for this. And any Red Sox fan certainly knew this, too. You'll recall last year when the Sox were getting at it with Manny Machado, and Dustin Pedroia is seen on camera Mouthing to Manny Machado, it's them, it's not me. And that went on for months. And it went on too long, and the Sox waited too long to respond. And I didn't know this until I read it today. Apparently, that was like the beginning of the end for John Farrell. Dave Dombrowski and John Farrell apparently got in a very heated exchange about John Farrell's lack of, uh, let's say, brass ones and going back at the Orioles. So let's go back to last night. Austin goes in spike high. Tempers flare. People are yelling and screaming at each other. It took four innings for the Red Sox to respond this time because Joe Kelly drills him. And there's, again, everything's caught on camera these days, right? Joe Kelly drills Austin, and you can see it clear as day. And I love that all this stuff ends up on social media, you know, five minutes later. Joe Kelly points at him and says, let's go. That is a sign of a Red Sox team that is together. That is a sign of a Red Sox team that has much better chemistry now than that team had all of last year, and they won 93 games. So why do Yankee fans care about that? Because it makes it all better. It makes things like last night better. This is still entertainment. We are like Batman and the Joker. And that great scene from The Dark Knight when the Joker's like, we need each other, right? Sometimes it cools off, but when it flares up again, there is nothing like it. And they play again tonight, and an April 12th baseball game, even Yankees-Red Sox, gets all the more interesting. And I I got to be honest here, I'm not always a fan of heightened anticipation of a baseball game because now the question is, how do the Yankees respond? I got to throw at this guy, and you got to throw at my guy, and the unwritten rules have to be adhered to, and codes have to be adhered to. I don't know if you ordered the code red or not, but I'm not always a fan of that stuff. 
But it's interesting when, you know, 7 o'clock this morning, I look over my shoulder, and the Today Show is leading with not only Yankees-Red Sox, but a couple of brawls that have happened early in the season. Now, baseball is not the UFC. Baseball is not WWE. But why do those things thrive? Because storylines, tension, conflict. At its best, Yankees-Red Sox is not only great because they're going at each other for the division and trying to win the American League and who is the you know supreme leader of baseball, payrolls or not. Yankees-Red Sox is at its best when there is tension. When Pedro Martinez is throwing, you know, 98-year-old Don Zimmer on the ground and A-Rod's getting a glove in his face from Jason Veritek. And last night, Tyler Austin goes in spikes high. Let's go. It's April 12th, and I cannot wait to watch Yankees-Red Sox tonight. There's a lot happening. NHL playoffs are going on. I've got other things going on. But that is appointment viewing. That's what they can do. That's what can happen. And that is awesome. We got to pace ourselves here. I'm running out of trash talk. <laughs> come on. It's April, right? Got to come up with some new material. Uh, Phil Nevin, who was tossed out of that game last night. Pretty much everybody's on the field. Austin and Kelly get ejected. And Yankees third base coach Phil Nevin gets ejected. Now, this is not about that. I just had to play this clip because it's hilarious. I don't want to think I'm going to wear less layers tomorrow because, geez, I look fat in all those. My sweatshirt on, my jersey. I'm certainly doing that. I can freeze to death, but I don't want to look like that on the field anymore. Doesn't he sound like Philip Seymour Hoffman, by the way? God rest his soul. Apropos of nothing, that has nothing to do with any conversation I just had. It's just hilarious. And... We can play because he got tossed last night. He's relevant in some ways. 437-7644 is the phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line's 2880644. So we'll talk more Yankees. Red Sox, Nate Mink later in the show. We'll do some hot takes coming up. A little bit more on spring football outside of our conversation with Nate Mink. Got a lot more to come here. You're on the block. Happy Thursday, everybody. Back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block ESPN radio. It is presented by our friends at SRC Incorporated. They're doing great work to protect us and our war fighters. But they need your help, too. SRC is growing and looking for software or systems engineers. You can apply at SRCINC.com. I was reading a great article about our friends at SRC Incorporated the other day. Just got a huge grant to keep doing what they do. Maybe they can. Maybe you can help them, too. SRCINC.com. Maybe you've got a career as a software or systems engineer in your future. Go check it out. Right now, hit me with that fancy open. Let's hot take this thing. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hurt. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. According to ESPN senior writer Adam Schefter, after arranging for Colin Kaepernick to work out for the Seattle Seahawks this week, team officials postponed the trip when the quarterback declined to say he would stop kneeling during the National Anthem next season, a league source told ESPN Thursday. Seattle still is considering bringing in Kaepernick 
for a tryout and no decisions are final. The Seahawks had contacted him about two weeks ago to arrange a visit to team headquarters, but after tentative arrangements were made, travel was planned. The trip was unexpectedly scuttled over the Seahawks' last-minute stipulation regarding his anthem stance, according to Schefter. The source said the Seahawks wanted to know that Kaepernick would kneel this season, and he was unwilling to give that assurance to them. Now, I know a lot of you have Kaepernick fatigue, and the story just keeps growing branches that sometimes it should, sometimes it shouldn't. In this case, this is interesting to me, because this is not just he went to another protest or won another award or was in some other magazine article or something. No, this was a football tryout. This is a man through all of this that has proclaimed, you know, uh, like Jerry Cushman and Jerry Maguire. I just want to play football, Jerry. And that line that I read there, that the Seahawks declined to go through with this when he would not assure them what his plans were for that, to that I say good for them. Because this is not just another quarterback you're bringing in for a tryout. By doing what you do, by taking the stance that you do, which you have every right to do, but it, it does not come with a get-out-of-jail-free card. It does not come with something. It, what it comes with is baggage. It comes with a distraction. It comes with a lot of people that not only don't agree with what you do, but it brings added distractions. And, and I know distraction can be an overused term in sports. There's a lot of air quotes distractions that NFL teams put up with if you're really good that make them seem hypocritical. But this one burns hot because it goes back to stick to sports, right? This one burn. It's one thing if you're a distraction because like Odell Beckham Jr. like distraction. That's one thing. It is quite another to be a distraction that comes with what Colin Kaepernick comes with, and that is the conservative army. That is when Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and both sides of the political aisle, CNN, MSNBC, and many other organizations and media entities I can list here, but you get it. If this is something that is as likely to be debated on some of those shows as it is on first take, you're bringing something that makes me say, are you worth it? And we are so far removed from him being on the football field, it's almost become mythology. He still left the game as an average quarterback. Now, he's been away from the game for a couple of years, and maybe he's fresh and come in there and and, and look better than some worn-down backups that you've had there. And that's just it. Well, he's just a backup anyway. He's not going to beat out Russell Wilson for the job. Well, that's just it. Why am I going to put up with all this, no matter what team I am, for a backup? That's the harsh reality of it. If this is Tom Brady or if this is somebody of a very high level, Super Bowl winning quarterback, which Colin Kaepernick almost was, frankly, but it's all what you're willing to put up with. And at this point, he's become, fair or unfair, he's become so untouchable that If he wouldn't give him a straight answer on this, then the Seahawks did the right thing. Now, Ian Rappaport saying the Seahawks postponed a tentatively scheduled workout, as Schefter reported, but he's saying it was not because he said he declined to stop kneeling. The team asked for his plan moving forward on how to handle everything, and there was not a firm plan. Either way, if he did not give a definitive answer to that, I say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. When you have a plan, you let us know. 
and maybe we'll let you work out here. That's hot. Russell Westbrook finished the NBA season with his 16th rebound in the third quarter of a 137-129 win against the Grizzlies to secure his second straight season, averaging a triple-double. He is the first player to ever average a triple-double more than one time in their career, and he did it in consecutive seasons. He finished the year 25 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, and 10.3 assists per game. Now, that goes without saying that's an incredible accomplishment. I just have a couple of thoughts. One, he did this last year, and it was just people would just cry Bloody Mary if you did not hand him the MVP award. This year, he's not even in the conversation. It's LeBron or it's James Harden, and it's probably going to be James Harden, right? So it's funny how the cycle moves the way that it does. Who's like, who, let's spin the wheel and who, air quotes, deserves the MVP? Who's, who is at the top of the narrative list? Because frankly, you could give it to LeBron every year and you'd be right. But it's just funny how certain narratives take hold. Because last year, if you didn't give Russell Westbrook the MVP, then, you know, you were an idiot. Now, he did the same thing. He averaged a triple double. So now there were other reasons why people argued for Russ to get the MVP last year, but there is a very interesting kind of, how can I put this, take for lack of a better term. Yes, yeah, a hot take. That's hot. That this is what Russ cares about. And that is why Kevin Durant is no longer there. And that is why Kevin Durant is wise not to be there. And think about that. Kevin Durant went to Golden State where you sit there and you looked at that at first and you said, there's not enough basketballs to go around, but they made it work. Now, this year is going to be very interesting, considering that, and I, this will lead me to my next thing. That's hot. So the odds are out now that the playoff pairings are out. The NBA regular season is over. It is the Warriors who are still favored to win the title. According to Westgate, they are 6-5 to five odds, plus 120. The Houston Rockets are right there behind them at 5 to 4 plus 125. Houston entered the season by the way 12 to 1 odds. The Rockets are the number 1 seed in the West. They went 65 and 17 in the regular season. Harden probably will win the MVP, but we'll see. The Rockets and Warriors minus 110 co-favorites to win the Western Conference. Oklahoma City and Portland having the next best odds at 25 to 1. LeBron and Cleveland are still favored to win the East at plus 120. Toronto's plus 150. Philly, I don't know. I'd be inclined to just put a little bit on Philly, you know, if I bet on sports. Plus 400 for entertainment purposes only. The Cavs have 8-1 to odds to win the title. But obviously, Golden State's been hurt. You had Kevin Durant openly criticizing Steve Kerr. Cleveland, I mean, I want to think... LeBron's just going to go into Superman mode and get them there again. The East is vulnerable outside of Philly, and Philly's been, you know, just charging through the end of the regular season without Joel Embiid. This is an intriguing NBA playoffs. Not that the playoffs aren't always intriguing, but all the super teams, maybe with the exception of Philly, and they're not even a super team, they're just playing super have a notable flaw. Have something you can point at and say, well, here's why they won't get there. For Cleveland, it's just LeBron and the pips. For Golden State, it's the injuries. For Philly, 
it's just inexperienced. They have a lot of talent, but what happens when they get there? For Boston, I mean, it's incredible that Boston has found their way this far, but they don't have Kyrie Irving. You can't win the title without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. That's why you brought those players there. So what we could end up with here is Houston's kind of like, we're pretty good. But I, I am intrigued by Philly. I really think Philly's got a window here. I didn't bring up Toronto, but Toronto always figures out a way to gack their way out of this. I heard a really interesting stat about Toronto, too, that they rely on their bench almost more than any team, not only in the East, but in the in, in the NBA right now. Do you win, and I'm, I'm asking this rhetorically, do you win in the playoffs with your bench? You might win a couple games. You might seal a game or two in a series with your bench, but... Why does Golden State and Cleveland and, the, you know, the teams that we mentioned and some we didn't make it that far to win these games? You win with your stars. You win with your guys. Toronto and Kyle Lowry has been awful in the playoffs. There's a lot of things that have to go right for them, but if there's a year where they could finally find a way, this could be it. So, look, I'm a hockey playoff guy. I love the hockey playoffs. They're back. But for the next couple of months when the NBA gets going – this weekend, just the, the I mean, it's like a sports all-you-can-eat buffet. Yankees-Red Sox is hot right now, so that's going. The hockey playoffs are always on. The NBA playoffs are always on. The NFL draft stuff is already kicked up, and that's only going to get even more intense next week with when trades start happening and the real rumors start coming out. It's just, man. The best analogy I can make to this is, so today I stopped and I got some goodies. On the way in, I don't know if I can give this place a free plug, but it's it's a terrific new bakery here in downtown Syracuse. I will say that, which we recently did a video on on Syracuse.com. So there you go. You can go figure it out for yourself. So it's funny how I get these delicious pastries and I come to work and I'm like, these are going to last like five minutes. But everywhere I went, no, I'm not eating carbs. No, no, I can't. I'm just like, just eat it. It's a croissant. It's delicious. Eat it. It's a cinnamon bun. It's not going to kill you, right? Like, that to me is this time of year in sports. Don't say no. Don't say, no. I'm trying to wind down on my playoff consumption. No, this is a great time of year. This is the all-you-can-eat buffet of real deal sports. Playoffs here, playoffs there, big decisions in the NFL draft. There's not a lot of local stuff to chew on, unfortunately. There's local ties that come in here and there, but, oh, baby, it's just a great time of year to be a sports fan. That's And hot. I think we just wrapped up what was one of the more intriguing, and I'm going to use that word, intriguing, NBA regular seasons we've seen in years, which can only mean what for the playoffs. Are we going to see that and then the playoffs are a dud? I don't think so. I thought this was interesting. So Stanton, of course, is with the Yankees now. And... Not that the Miami Marlins were killing it with Stanton, but at least they had a top draw there. At least you had, you know, arguably the best player in baseball and a reason for Marlins fans to come to the ballpark. So the Marlins drew 6,150 fans at a recent game, which is interesting because their double-A affiliate, which is in Jacksonville, just up the road, brought in 6,960 fans. Now, to be fair, I shouldn't be comparing these two at all, but to be fair to the Marlins, you know, the major league team, it was the home opener 
for Double A Jacksonville. For the three-game series against the Mets, the Marlins, and it wasn't just Stanton. They lost Gordon, Zuna, a number of players as they rebuilt this year. Yet another fire sale. This is not an average. This is a total. For the three-game series against the Mets, and remember, there's a lot of snowbirds down in Florida that would want to go see the Mets play. They drew a total of 19,669 fans. Through nine home games, the Marlins are averaging 12,641 fans per game. That includes, by the way, an opening day crowd of 34,000. A total of just under 20,000 fans. Derek Jeter, I have but four words for you, my friend. Good luck with that. Nate Mink's going to join us next hour. We'll check in on some Syracuse Spring football, more on Yankees Red Sox, and more from you. 437-7644. The on-the-block text line is 288-0644. If you want to join the party, stay right there. Back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.